0: You're tuned in to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malick, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malick, and we're broadcasting from our Tin Roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. In a way, the farming of wheat is responsible for the sophistication of chocolate. One of my favorite books is Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel. Written in 1997 and a winner of the Pulitzer Prize and a New York Times bestseller, Mr. Diamond is a professor of geology at UCLA and he's done extensive research across the world and especially in New Guinea. One day while watching a cargo ship unload in New Guinea, a friend of his and a native of New Guinea asked him, why certain countries produced so much cargo and New Guinea didn't? In other words, why did certain countries develop economically and others did not? And from that query came this seminal look at the development of global economies. His book has a heartbreaking description of the 1532 conquest of the Incas in Peru, courtesy of the Spanish conquistador Francisco Pizarro, as well as the eventual destruction of the Mayans, courtesy another Spanish conquistador, Hernando Cortez, in 1521. Now, the Mayans believed that Cortez, in his gold-tinted armor and full of his feathery adornments, uh, was a deity because he landed at the same spot. Their mythology said the god Quetzalcoatl would return from the heavens, and he was treated as a god and served chocolate. At the time, it was a cold beverage mixed with chilies, honey, and water, and was probably a bit on the gritty side. Christopher Columbus had brought cocoa beans back to Spain's Queen Isabella in 1502, but it was Cortes that brought the equipment and technique to modify the beans into something wonderful. Cortes found that the beverage served hot, was more in tune with his European palate, and for about 60 years, the Spanish kept their hot chocolate a royal secret. In 1615, Coco found its way into the court of King Louis Thirteenth of France at his royal wedding to the Spanish princess Anne de Atruche. Anne not only brought Coco along in her wedding basket, she also brought a servant skilled in the art of making this foaming beverage. In 1657, the first English chocolate house opened, and it was similar to today's coffee houses. Because the drink was still considered a luxury, the shops were only open to men, And they were places to gamble and discuss politics. Until the mid-1700s, chocolate was made much the same way the Mayans had made it. But during the Industrial Revolution, a Frenchman named Doré invented a hydraulic machine to grind cocoa beans into a paste. And soon after, another gentleman by the name of Duboisois created a steam-driven chocolate mill. And it was now possible to grind huge amounts of cocoa and mass produce chocolate cheaply and quickly, and it soon became available across Europe. Uh, In 1829, a Dutch chemist named Van Houten invented a cocoa press which squeezed the cocoa butter out of the bean, leaving the powder we now call cocoa powder. By adding alkaline salts to the powdered chocolate, uh, that helped it dissolve in water, also gave the um, cocoa a darker yet milder flavor And that's the process we refer to as dutching. So if you see cocoa powder labeled uh, Dutch chocolate or Dutch process, that's what it is. So what does all this chocolate history have to do with the farming of wheat? Well, for that, you're going to have to read Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel. And it is a fabulous book. As we're coming up on Valentine's Day, who better to have on the show than a French chocolatier, Vincent Caradona. And you might know him from his chocolate shop, La petite croissant. So let's get to our interview. Welcome to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, Vincent of La Petite Croissant, here in Greenville. Hello, John. How are you? Vincent, thank you so much for coming out this morning. Thank you for welcoming me. It was my pleasure to have you out, sir. At some point, we began to associate chocolate with love, sex, and romance. And Vincent, that's why you're here today.
1: <laughs> yeah, why
0: not? Why not? What, what What is your question that I can't answer? <laughs> All right, so, Anything so, chocolate. You got it. All right, so let's start with, uh, before we get going, because your accent has given you away, right? <laughs> and, uh, and if you haven't been to his shop, Le Petit Croissant... Tell us exactly where it is and how long you've been there.
1: So the shop, uh, Le Petit Croissant, is located at the 640 South Main Street. So we're on the West End, just right after the park uh, and just before Augusta Street. Uh, Yep. We're we're right downtown. We have a little location where we make everything fresh. We bake. uh, So every morning, talking about uh, Mm -hmm. croissant, baguette, fresh pastries. Right, right. And uh, yes, yeah, eat my chocolate. Make it makes you happy younger. <laughs> and uh, so we make everything from scratch, uh, which is really important to me. And we make everything with tradition. And there is nothing better than watching all the people eating, let's say, passion fruit macaron, uh, the little French cookie, you know. Sure. And the ladies coming back to me and telling me, you know, it's reminding me what my mother used to make when I was a kid. This is the most amazing compliment I can get. And this is where we're trying to bring people is everything is kind of made to order only with fresh ingredients. Now that we know
0: where your shop is, uh, tell us where's home. So where are you originally
1: from? Where were you born Home. Uh, I was born in Annecy. Annecy is a, a medium town uh, located a half an hour away from Geneva. It's about the size of Greenville, isn't it? Uh, roughly, roughly, yes. yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so we're at the Swiss border, right between Switzerland, Italy, and, and France, uh, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're right in that triangle. Right. And uh, that's where I was born. And I spent most of my time uh, in Annecy. My uh, my father relocated in Paris when I was really young. So I always lived between Paris and uh, Annecy. So uh, I was... Kind of a city boy with Paris, and not a farmer. Like always, I had kind of the best of both worlds. And uh, I fall into uh, into kitchen when I was really really young because uh, my uh, my family always been in uh, in the food industry. Okay. Uh, one of my uncle used to uh, used to own a lot of restaurants, nightclubs, uh, bars in the city. And the city meaning Paris uh, or NC? Uh, NC. Okay. Does it does he still own them? Uh, no, he, okay. uh, he retired, uh, but when we were young, we used to stay every weekend at my grandma's, and mm-hmm. my grandma was sick of us, <laughs> so my <laughs> uncle used to take us with him, and, uh, with my cousins, and we would run all day long into uh, kitchens. Uh, because my uncle used to go in the afternoon to do uh, to make sure that all the preps and everything will be ready for right. all the restaurants. So, um, and I, I think that's how we uh, all... Would,
0: how, how many kids was he dragging around at the time? <laughs> uh, we were five at that time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a funny story, actually, because we all hand up in the food industry. I get, uh, really? All, it, all of you? Pretty much, yeah. Cool. I yeah. have a, I have a cousin that became uh, a breadmaster and uh, slash pastry chef. He's, uh, he's a head chef in a restaurant. I have another cousin that uh, became uh, a pastry and chocolate uh, maker. I have another friend that became a cook, uh, another cousin that became a cook. I mean, we all end up somehow in the food industry. And uh, and only me at that time was, uh, uh, was pretty passionate about pastries, and so okay. I, I fall into it. I got the chance to work with uh, a MOF that stands for Meilleur Ouvrier de France, okay. which stands for pretty much uh, when you title MOF, you are the best uh, the best worker in the world. It's even above world champion because when you're MOF, you cannot uh, participate as a competitor into any food competition. You can be judge. Okay. But you cannot participate to the competition. And so, who did you work for that had this title? I worked for at the time. Uh, it was uh, Collet. Collet was uh, M.O.F. in uh, been And this is in Annecy. It, it's in Annecy, and yeah. uh, and Collet was uh, a true tastemaker. Uh yeah. Old school. I had an amazing uh, respect for that man because he had. He was retired supposedly retired mm-hmm. for years and right. uh, he was trying to sell the shop uh, when uh, when I actually got in and uh, it took a few years to do that because mm-hmm. you don't buy uh, a MOF like this shop uh, it has to pretty much be transmitted to somebody else that had the right. same title or world right, champion right, so right. it took some time but during that time he used to pop up into the kitchen and uh, mm-hmm. and teach us a lot of things and um the reason I had so much uh, passion and, uh, and respect for that man, he, he had, uh, I mean, his, his work was amazing, but he had Parkinson, so he used to shake, uh, mm-hmm. his, uh, his arms used to shake a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He will come in the kitchen, grab two tablespoons, put his hands on granite, and he will stop shaking.
0: I'm sorry, have two tablespoons
1: of? Uh, to make sugar work. So oh, oh, okay. he, he will do some sugar work for his pastime and he will show up in the kitchen, uh, on the afternoon, grab a, uh, grab just two tablespoons, start working with sugar. And as soon as he had a spatula or uh, a kitchen tool in his hand, he will stop shaking. It was wow. just amazing to see. Well wow. Uh, it's, it's that level of dedication that I put to myself pretty much. Yeah. I try to apply to myself. Yeah. And,
0: um, and, and by sugar, what we really mean is he was working with – he was pulling sugar. So it's sugar that has been brought up to – uh,
1: It actually depends what you want to – if right. you want to blow the sugar, uh, make a bubble out of it. Right. Uh, you're looking at about 160 uh, Celsius. And uh, mm-hmm. if, uh, you wanna do, uh, if you want to do, if you want to stretch the sugar, it's a lower temperature. Uh, right. So Fahrenheit, I'm not sure. Celsius, we're talking about 125 yeah. ish. Yeah.
0: So I think my wife, if my wife is here, she would be telling me, but like a, a soft crack on a on a, on sugar is 200 and. Forty-two,
1: maybe two hundred thirty-two. That much. That's about double. Yeah. That so that's about. Well, I'll get 120. emails. <laughs> I'll that's
0: get about emails. one
1: twenty Celsius. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you get soft crack, uh, hard crack, and right. then you go up uh, until blooming. Right. Uh, but
0: yeah. And in the right hands, in the right hands, if you have uh, sugar at this stage, it's it's it is the consistency of really thick corn syrup, and at that point, it can be teased and manipulated into Whatever the sculptor can imagine. We saw years ago, saw this um, these sugar displays that Henry Holler had done. He was the uh, chef of the White House. Oh my gosh, they were, I mean, they were flowers. They, and you could look at them from five feet away when you thought, these are yeah. actual flowers. <laughs> and then you got, it was only, you had to get right up on it and was like, wow, this is sugar. It's amazing. Yeah. The,
1: it's amazing. Uh, the best person worldwide for uh, sugar work. Is, uh, is a French guy called Stephen Klein. Mm-hmm. Uh, K L E I N is like a super master of chocolate of uh, yeah. of sugar work. Yeah. As, uh, you yeah. should sure, you should sure look it up. Amazing.
0: So, do you remember the first thing as a kid? Do you remember the first thing that you actually cooked?
1: Pasta. Yeah. Pasta and meatballs
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, was,
1: uh, that was the first thing we ever cooked because uh, my grandma used to make family meals and right. uh, she were, uh, my, my dad's side of the family is Italian. So we used to have a lot of uh, Italian and uh, North Africa uh, Arabic uh, dishes because uh, before World War II they used to live in uh, Tunisia. Uh, okay. And then they moved because of the war to France. Uh, your
0: your, fam- your father's side? My father's side, yeah. Right.
1: So uh, we have a lot of, uh, of traditional North African dishes and Italian dishes in the family. Mm-hmm. And one of the most uh, famous is the pasta and the meatballs. Uh, uh, there is a lot of work into it, and uh, and that's probably one of the first meals. Yeah, you're probably grinding the meat, right? Uh, we did not grind the meat but okay. we made our own bread uh, let it dry and right. uh, soak it after that and then use the, the bread we used to make for the
0: meatballs, oh meatballs. So, yeah so what were you soaking the bread in for the meatballs uh-huh. <laughs> 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 the answer yeah. Is milk. yeah I don't believe you <laughs> 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 that's fine you can <laughs> tell, tell me later you know what maybe if you ever open up a, a savory restaurant then you hold hold on to that secret for when you put uh, savory food on your menu right so do you remember how old you were when you when you first said this is the life for me I wanted I want to create stuff like this
1: I was about 16 16 yeah, yeah. I, I really wanted to not make it a, a, a job for me and uh When I got into pastries, what I did is that I just, I just did it. I I had no real purpose. I did it because Mm -hmm. I liked it. I like to say that before my twenties, I did my forties crisis. (laughs) uh,
0: You had a a midlife crisis when you were 21.
1: (laughs) Pretty bad before that. But I don't know. I wasn't I I wasn't really a a schoolboy, and, uh, far from there. Okay. And, um, I always used to uh, love working with my hands. Working with your hands doesn't—it really, also mean that you need to use your brain, uh, especially if you want to make something that's really, uh, really nice, really tasty. Almost have to be a, a chemist because uh, you have to know your ingredients, Absolutely. how you need to cook them, uh, right. What temperature, the timing, everything is really uh, important. When I was about 16 and I got into pastry, I was really passionate by all that dedication that if you wanted to make the perfect mousse, let's say, or uh, the perfect chocolate, you had to follow those really specific steps, right? right. Now, that's when you start. Because on my opinion, now with, uh, with all the experience that I accumulated, I think that everybody should experience culinary by just trying trying things and that's all mm-hmm. so you will make a lot of crap at the beginning and right. that's what, <laughs> and that's why you that, that's why you you do it multiple times you know right. uh after if it's a fail it's a fail you got to move right. on right but if you really want to make something creative go for it you know if you have an idea and you, you truly think that you can do it try you know I mean, right. maybe it will take you five years from that to make it right maybe right. but it's a little challenge you know and uh, that was uh, the pastry and the chocolate for me was no limit pretty much uh, mm-hmm. job which wasn't a job that, that was the trick it was just a passion and it became more and more a passion than a job and now you know I mean you, you, you know that sentence people say find a, uh, find something that you uh, that you like that you love and doing it so you won't have the impression to right. work you know that's that's pretty much it you
0: never have a job it'll, it'll, exactly. it'll, yeah
1: yeah and I do it by passion uh, I love what I do I don't feel obligated to make the same product all the time and that's why by the way at Le petit there is no menu. So I make everything fresh, and then I see what I want to do. What I will mix, that will bring people back to their uh, mm-hmm. childhood. I make it happen. <laughs> now with all the the knowledge that I have, I can do pretty much anything, and I will make it super tasty. I, I think that's the ultimate goal: is just finding something that you love to do and and just be creative, be really creative in it. Before you came to Greenville, do you want to start from when I left France? That will be more accurate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I traveled those
0: places. Well, we've only, years. We, I like show to show it run about half an hour, so
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be uh, to make it short. So when I was uh, when I was in uh, in France, I, I was in uh, in Annecy at the time, and okay, uh, I used to uh, walk back and forth between Paris and, and Annecy, and uh, I, I was kind of a consultant. Uh, in pastry and chocolate mm-hmm. and i uh, i did uh, a competition that uh, bring the the best uh, 20 chocolate maker in france uh, i end up in a five top and after that for me i was i became limited uh, limited uh, that was pretty much either i go my way and create a small business either i go work for one of the old school large company and right. i didn't want i didn't want to do any of those two and I always had the dream to go to America. I don't know why. But so I took, I sold everything I had and I took a flight ticket to New York. And uh, so what year is this? that was uh, 2011, 2012. I end up in New York. I work for a really uh, one of the, the best pastry shop in New York. I just knock at the door one morning. Yeah, who was that? Uh, that was La Bergamotte. And uh, I worked for them for about a, a month or two, and then I found a, a French man that became kind of my master, uh, my second master, my French-American master. Right, right. So he, he was already in America for a good 15 years, uh, Yeah. Jean-Francois Bonnet. He, what, what was the name of his uh, store? tumbador Chocolate. He just changed the name to Brooklyn-born chocolate, uh-huh. uh, and uh, he was located in Brooklyn at the time, and where he was making a uh, large production uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, of chocolate from scratch. Um, and he took me under his arm and showed me the American way to do French product, And that became endless of creativity. People around the world have different tastes, different palettes. And they didn't grow with the product that we had back in France. They grow with what, what they had in America, with a, a little bit uh, a sweet tooth here, uh, a little right. bit sweeter, you know, and uh, a little bit buttery. Uh, but it was making high-end French product, but Americanized. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really interesting. So I became chef for him, and uh, he showed me a lot of things on how to use uh, American product, American flavors, but making it super high end, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so with all the knowledge that we had, it was just uh, it, it was just a blast. And uh, and after that, uh, so I worked for him for a couple of years, and then uh, I wanted to try to go my way. As well, so I became a consultant as well uh, here in the U.S. So I used to travel in uh, in America, uh, pretty much everywhere. I used to help small businesses, a small bakery, mm-hmm. on redoing their menu, reorganize the kitchen, the staffing, uh, all that type of stuff, to try to bring the business back to life. And, uh, and then I moved to Australia for about six months, where uh, I ran one of the largest uh, factory in Australia, chocolate wise. Okay. And uh, it was just an escape. See on the other side of what, the world. What city was that? It was uh, in uh, Yarra Glen. It's uh, about 45 minutes north of Melbourne. I had a good time over there, but I kind of missed the US. Right. So I came back, ended up in Hawaii for a few weeks where uh, I harvested chocolate.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah.
1: I ended up in L.A., I ended up in, uh, in Vegas, in Texas, and then I came back to New York. Uh, and in mm-hmm. New York, I opened uh, my first location. Mm-hmm. So I opened a shop, I opened a factory, I opened another shop, uh, and then I met my wife in South Carolina, here in Greenville. Uh, I brought her to New York, She's a Thornton brand you know. She right, right. And she hates. So New you, York. so
0: you were, tr- you were, you were living in New York. Yeah. And you had your own shop. Yeah. You were, end up in Greenville just on. Uh, just on the weekend, just to yeah. uh, explore, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and then you meet this uh, lovely. Um, lady. Lovely lady yeah.
1: Ashley. And I try to bring her back to New York with me, but it your, wasn't.
0: Uh, the chocolate wasn't working. It did. Well, it wasn't magical that, enough to get her to New York. It wasn't. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> spending
1: her days in cabs and uh, yeah. yeah, walking. No, it wasn't for her. It was too crazy for her.
0: Yeah, actually, she's a, she's a South Carolina native,
1: isn't she? Yeah, she's yeah. born and raised in, uh, in Traveler Rest. So she went back. Uh, she she went real fast back to uh, to Greenville, uh-huh. and uh, and she kind of asked me, not asked me, if we could move somewhere else. So I was uh, I was pretty in love with the lady. So we uh, uh-huh. I try to find a way. Uh, At that time, it was a good time for me to sell two of the businesses that I had on the street. So I sold two of them and uh, I kept my factory. I I become kind of (laughs) jobless. Mm -hmm. So uh, I hit up uh, Jean-Francois and uh, I tell him, okay, I'm I'm selling. I just sold two of the businesses. I I don't really know what to do, you know, in a simple conversation. And he told me, you know, uh, Claude Escamilla in Las Vegas, uh, who is a World pastry champion, two times uh, is looking for a pastry chef uh, and a, a chocolate maker chocolate master to run the pastry shop uh, at the Bellagio in uh-huh. Las Vegas so he uh, issued an email to Claude Claude called me uh, the next day and he said alright can you come? I was like, I mean, sure, when? Oh, like, tomorrow? Yeah,
0: I love it. The, the, French,
1: the French chocolate mafia in action. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, uh, are uh, it's a small world. Yep, and exactly. I'm that sure, you, I'm sure you, know, you, you know really well that when you get to the top, it's a really, really very, very, very small, small world. Very world. world. Yep. And, um, so the next day, I, I try to pack my, uh, my stuff together and, uh, I grabbed Ashley on the way, and we drove uh, to Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And I became the chocolate maker for uh, Jean Philippe uh, Pastry. Uh, that was at the Bellagio the Aria. That slowly became uh, everything for the MGM Group. So right. I used to make all the chocolate, most likely for all the the hotels on the Strip. Uh, it was uh, one of the finest chocolates in uh, in America, but in high uh, high production. Yeah. And that was. Really and when you say
0: high production, how many how many pieces? Not say desserts, but how many finished pieces of chocolate?
1: I uh, mean, you finish it's it's hundreds of thousands of of pieces a month. Right. Uh, I don't have the exact number. What I can tell you, it was about two and a half tons of raw chocolate every month.
0: So it was coming in was, with a forklift. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We used to have a, a
1: line uh, every morning in front of the kitchen yeah. of uh, of pallets for ingredients uh, every morning. Yeah. It was, uh, but it, it was so interesting. Why? Because we were uh, we were the only one able to make something like this in Las Vegas. So we had uh, we had crazy requests uh, from celebrities all the time, from right. uh, <clears throat> pretty rich people that wanted crazy cakes. And we're the only one in Vegas where you can get it. You want a right. you want a, a transformer cake, uh, six feet tall? We can make it. You want, <laughs> a, you want a Are you doing feet? that now?
0: Are you doing that kind of stuff now? Uh,
1: not in my shop, but yeah. at the shop I do I, I do
0: smaller. Because you're gonna get a phone call. <laughs> uh,
1: I love love challenges.
0: Somebody's going to want a six-foot-tall transformer cake. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I would be really, really
1: uh, (laughs) impressed if someone in Greenville wants something like this. But why not? I I can make it. Yeah, but why not? No, but it was uh, all like billionaires coming from Italy in private jet picking up uh, three-feet-tall chocolate eggs. Uh, You know, we'll we'll have crazy demand like this. And that's what was making the job really interesting is that because every day will be a new day. Right, and that that's the best.
0: So, what is it about chocolate that we equate with romance, love, sex?
1: I think this is something that uh, people associated to it because it's a it's a treat. Mm-hmm. This is not a meal, or it's not specifically a dessert. It's really a treat. It's something really smooth, really uh, really nice to the palate. It's a treat. I think that's yeah. the best. That's the best world. And uh, yeah. chocolate's always been associated to kind of a, a high hand, a high society. Why? Because uh, it used to be uh, back in the day, it was only reserved to the royalty. In Spain, then right. uh, France, and they grow, but that was a luxury product. And chocolate is uh, is let's say let's put it that way. Chocolate is the cheapest <laughs> luxury product you can get.
0: That's a good point. That's an excellent point. Cheapest luxury product you can get.
1: Exactly. And I I think that's why people are kind of uh, uh, not addicted, but put it in a so high place in their mind. is because it's a luxury product, but it's really accessible.
0: You know, the Mayans, um, I think they were probably the first ones to um, enjoy it on a regular basis. But in central Mexico, where the the Mayans were uh, located, they believe cocoa seeds were a gift Of wisdom from the gods they would drink it so they they had a very different form of cocoa so they would they would crush the seeds and and make a a hot drink out of it uh, with with chilies and honey and and it was probably uh, something rather chunky I would imagine
1: it's it's true and uh, to add to that it's it was actually uh, considered as a currency Sure, yeah, uh, it was, yeah. And and they used to use it for medicinal purposes. Right. Uh, So the drinks were supposed to heal you. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: yeah, they used to uh, uh, ferment uh, the beans as well. Uh, The pastry chefs and uh, the people at that time kind of mastered the product to make it even finer and finer for the royalty. Uh, And that's how pretty much we end up with. Chocolate in Europe, uh, like the actual form of chocolate you know today. But yeah, the Mayans used to use it for almost everything.
0: So, do you remember the first bite of chocolate that uh, Ashley had? That was yours. That came from your hands. Uh, the first thing that she had.
1: No, you and I tell you why.
0: Maybe we better edit that one out. What else? <laughs> she doesn't like chocolate. What?
1: She's she's not a she. Ashley doesn't have a sweet tooth. And uh, that's probably why I marry her. <laughs> but she doesn't have a, she doesn't have that sweet tooth. She loves when I make cookies, <laughs> but chocolate itself she's not a big uh, she's not a big chocolate lover. I,
0: so it's, how, it's how long had y'all been dating when you found that out? <laughs>
1: uh, about a year wow because i was keep pushing her uh, i was keeping pushing her to uh, to try the chocolate i was making because i always uh, try to make something new and uh, with new flavors and she uh she, she said you know I, i'm not i'm not a big chocolate lover
0: wow <laughs> How about that and, uh, yeah all right so let's say uh, you had the opportunity to um to go to any chocolate shop in the world where would that be <laughs> Uh, I probably
1: go to, uh, Paris chocolate maker called Patrick Roger. Okay. Uh, there is a chocolate MOF and he makes amazing, uh, chocolate sculptures.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and his chocolates are, are amazing as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably Patrick where, Roger in Paris. Patrick Roger in Paris. Yeah, he has a couple of shops in Paris, and his factory is just outside Paris.
0: Was his father a? Um, uh, no,
1: he uh, he became actually a uh, he uh, he became chocolate maker by uh, not by mistake, but he was a uh, uh, he was a sculptor. Patrick was a sculptor, and he came yeah. off, fell into chocolate when he was a uh, when he was younger, and uh, and make the bust out of worlds. Yeah.
0: All right. So let's say uh, somebody walks into your shop tomorrow. They've never been in there before. Uh, haven't heard of it. They wander in. They've got ten bucks. What do you? What would you like to see them walk out with?
1: Uh croissants for sure.
0: Okay. Ten bucks though. I was, ten you bucks. You only got ten bucks. I How much is a bar? I've got a couple of your bars here that uh, I, I keep with. So the. The you ch- see, I love chocolate, but I can the f- chocolate bars with the nuts uh, are yeah. eight fifty.
1: Okay. And uh, the plain ones, they're that's what bags. I would recommend. Uh, I mean, that's that's one, one of his hand- one of the, yeah one yeah. of his handmade bars. And uh, there is a couple of things you could get that really depend on, on your sweet tooth, but I will say get a croissant, uh, a plain original croissant. Get a a, a chocolate uh, bonbon, and it will have uh, a dozen of uh, of flavors right now uh, in a case. Um, right. And. Uh, Maybe either an espresso, because we are making real traditional espresso as well. Coffee, you know, <laughs> and get at the gas station. Uh, and, um, and the third thing will be, uh, yeah, probably, let's say a caramel. Yeah, or meringue. The meringue, I love cookie meringue. It's yeah. simple, classic, and you will have a little taste of everything in the shop.
0: You know, I love walking in there. I don't get to your shop nearly enough, but I love walking in there and just picking up a couple of candies, uh, your handmade caramels or chocolates. And uh, if I'm visiting uh, someone down the street or stopping in to see my wife, um, a gift of one of those uh, caramels can really make somebody's day. Nothing like Nothing like handmade chocolate. So Valentine's Day is real close. This is our Valentine's Day show. What do you have planned for Valentine's Day that our listeners can walk in there and pick up and –
1: so uh, for Valentine's, definitely plenty of chocolate truffles, uh, plenty of chocolate bonbons. So right. we have different sizes, boxes for everybody's purse. Uh, a three-piece box, six, nine, 15, and 32. Um, so you can make an assortment of chocolate. And we have uh, the macaron as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, uh, I think right now, I have 10 different flavors. Right. Uh And for everybody's palette,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm that
1: are the big seller, right? Right. And uh, and on top of that, I will have some really unique um, showpieces for Mm -hmm. sale. Okay. uh, For Valentine's kind of uh, Beauty and the Beast teaser. Um, I just received actually this morning. The packaging for it. Mm-hmm. So do you remember that little rose in uh, in the dome from the, the Beauty and the Beast? That rose that losing petals? Oh, right, right. So uh, okay. I, will, uh, I will make uh, chocolate roses entirely made out of chocolate into inside uh, the same dome. So I have two sizes, a medium one and a large one.
0: Nice, yeah.
1: And I have only a few
0: available because it's handmade. It's like a little chocolate sculpture. So when you come in and and with the intent of buying one of these things, guys, don't quibble about the price. You just pay his price.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Hand over the credit card. You know, it's actually <laughs> a, it's
1: actually good that you brought that in. Uh, it's because when I opened it, the shop, I have a lot of people that worked in, and and they were like, "Oh, it's expensive." And I I don't really know how to. I, I did not really know how to answer to that because I always uh, always been in a high hand market. So people right. that step in in a shop, kind of uh, they know what they want, they buy it. That's it. Right.
0: Well, you know, you can you can go buy your chocolate from the um, from the CVS. You can go get yourself a box of Russell Stover from right. the CVS, yeah. and that stuff has been made by uh, massive cold machines. And there's very little actual chocolate in it. Yeah. There's a lot of sugar and a lot of corn syrup.
1: And a lot right? of pine
0: oil. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. And a lot of preservatives. Yeah. Or uh, you can go buy chocolate yeah. and, uh, made
1: by hand. Exactly. And the first, you know, the first months, uh, probably the first six to nine months, I've been really pushing people to buy something into the shop. Right. And you know what I end up with is a lot of people that coming back at the shop the next day or the, the next one. And then I, you should, you should be more expensive. This is amazing. Yeah. And this is the answer I got. It's just Good. people have to try it and then they understand. And that's why as well I created the, the classes. I brought the classes that I used to make where I teach people uh, how to make uh, the chocolate truffles or the macaron and the croissant bread because people understand the product better when they actually try to make it.
0: Got 25 bucks in your pocket, right? You run into me on the on the street. Yeah. And you say, Come on, I'm taking you to lunch. Where are we going? Somewhere in Greenville. The PETA house. The PETA house. <laughs> cool. Love it. Yeah. I do like the PETA house. And you know what? We'll have change left over from that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> can I visit at my place for right, free? Right, exactly. Yeah. We can go get some chocolates. Oh, yeah. On the other uh, flip of the coin, got $500 to to blow for dinner, you want to take me and Mrs. Malik out, Ashley, the four of us, we're going to go somewhere special. 500 bucks, where are we going? It's a tricky one.
1: Anchorage?
0: Anchorage? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anchorage. Yeah. Greg is doing a great job over there. I think... uh,
0: I agree, yeah. Love everything that those those two are doing. Yeah. Alright, so remind us of the hours your shop is open.
1: So the shop is open Tuesday to Saturday 8 to 6 and Sunday 8 to 5. You open Sunday morning at 8? Yeah. We open every day except Monday we close, but we open right. every day at 8. And uh, and we close at 6 except Sunday at 5. Mm-hmm. And Sunday we're actually the only one open downtown uh, that early. So we're kind of the only place where you can get coffee and croissants.
0: Coffee and croissant yeah, and some fresh and we'll, chocolate. And yeah. Where can we
1: follow you on um, on Instagram. You can find us on Instagram and uh, Facebook uh, under Le Petit Croissant Greenville. Uh, we have really nice feed. Uh, we get really good compliments. I always try to post uh, a picture, uh, a picture every day or every other day of right. something that I'm making in the kitchen. And um, when I do have time, I try to do like a, a little challenge. So I um, take, uh, I record a short video of what I'm making right now, and without the final uh, product, okay. and people have to guess what I'm making. And the fastest, so the fastest and the right answer, win the product. Oh, very cool. So let's very say cool. I'm making shoe and uh, yep. and it's uh, a long shape. You, the first one that's clear, yeah, yeah. It wins on the clear.
0: All right, so we got to follow you, find you on Instagram at La Petite L-A-P-E-T-I-T Croissant. Yeah. Okay. And Vincent, how old were you when you first traded a, one of your handmade chocolates for a kiss? <laughs> <laughs> I was young. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, we're all French lovers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably a uh,
0: handmade yeah, you know, now, yeah. I would say,
1: say, uh, say 17 or 18, because I was pretty proud yeah. of what I was making yeah. at that time. <laughs> and,
0: uh, and I used to make a lot of things. Vincent, thank you so much for coming out today. If you would like to see photos of today's show or some photos of uh, the chocolates from Vincent's shop, Go to our website, TinRoofFarmRadioShow.com, and search La Petite Croissant or Handmade Chocolate. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, I am at chef john Malik and my wife Amy is TinRoofFarm, and you can find the show on Facebook at Tin Roof Farm Radio show. I am John Malick, and I help make restaurants successful. Vincent, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you very much, John. It's always a pleasure to come here. And happy Valentine's Day to Ashley. That's unfortunate she is not getting some chocolate from you. (laughs) But she'll get something nice, I'm sure. I'm sure. Thank you once again, sir. Thank you. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media, and our music is All Gussied Up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening.